trade efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. In episode 40, we have joining us Randy Cornell. Randy's Vice President of Maintenance and Asset Management at CFI, where he talks about the diversification of CFI, the perennial driver shortage, things that have changed since he started his career, actually as a driver, why CFI has short trade cycles, and the best way to bring new technology into a fleet. He also shares his thoughts on alternative fueled vehicles, which he said is in his company's future, but maybe a little farther out than you might think. Today we have joining us Randy Cornell. Randy and I go way back. He's a Vice President, Maintenance and Asset Management at CFI. Hello, Randy. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Mike. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. We've been uh, working together for some time. CFI was really a, a founder of NACFI back 12 years ago. And, you know, it, uh, you know, the fleets are really important to, um, you know, to NACFI success. So um, thanks for being with us for so long. And, but before we get going, I always ask uh, my guests, cause this is titled freight efficiency with Mike Roth and friends. I mean, um, when did we, do you know when we first met and, and became friends, Randy? Oh, wow. Gosh, Mike, it's probably been, yeah, probably 10 or 12 years ago. I, I don't even really remember. It's been so long now. Um, and uh, I met you actually through Bruce Stockton is who I actually met you through but that would have been 10 or 12 years ago, probably. Yeah, Bruce, uh, we, you, you and I end up sharing stories about Bruce every time we'll talk. We'll try to avoid doing that in front of everybody else here. Is that okay? I think that's okay and best, right? Yeah, that's best. <laughs> so let's start with uh, let's start with CFI. Um, you know, and it, it's had some name changes over the years. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, you know, take us through the company. Um, you know, what do you haul? You know, how many trucks, types of drivers? Um, you know, how long are the drivers out? Just give us a sense of the, of, of the history and the, and the business of CFI. Yeah, so CFI has morphed quite a bit over the last, so oh, probably about 15 years. Uh, we've actually been acquired uh, three different times over that time period, and it has diversified our portfolio. Traditionally, we were truckload only. Today, we have truckload, we have dedicated we have temp control and we have a large logistics arm as well. Uh, so our truckload division is about 1,850, 1,870 trucks. Uh, our dedicated division is about 850 trucks. And then our temp control division is probably about 350 trucks now. So we've really diversified over the years. Um, all of those obviously have drivers, obviously. And the majority of those drivers are gonna be out two to three weeks with the exception of the dedicated and a lot of those dedicated lanes, those guys are on every night or every week. So very diversified now as compared to what we, we used to be known for. Yeah, and are you responsible for, uh, uh, what's your responsibility there? And, and um, are you responsible for all of those divisions? Yeah, that, yeah, my, well, CFI has expanded, so have my responsibilities to those other divisions as well, yeah. And what does that what does that mean to you? I mean, do you have to do you have to be broader in your uh, specking of trucks? I mean, is it and drivers or or really are we talking about um, diversity, but uh, maybe not as much uh, with respect to the job that you do there? Not, I wouldn't say so much diversity in the job that I do here. You know, you have a little bit of diversity in regards to maybe some dedicated just need some day cabs versus sleeper cabs, uh, but really. Other than day cab versus sleeper cab, we can pretty much spec any truck to morph between those divisions, if you will. 
so that we can be consistent with our specs across the board, uh, which is the beauty of what we do is that we can diversify our equipment across the lines. Right, right. But still, you know, uh, a majority of your work is, you know, what I might call classic truckload carrier, um, you know, out, like you mentioned, two to three weeks at a time, um, probably very disparate routes. I mean, I recall um, you or Bruce telling me that, you know, you, you know, you'll, you'll bring trucks in and, and um, you know, they'll, they'll travel everywhere. And some, some, some cases, those trucks may not see or, you know, for a long time or ever see a CFI location. They're kind of out there just doing their job on their own. Um, tell us a little more about that. And do, do I kind of have the, the truckload business and, you know, this disparate route long haul truckload business, you know, tell us a bit more about it. Do I have that right? Yeah, so predominantly we're still, um, the, the majority of our business is irregular truckload, uh, over the road stuff. Drivers are gone two to three weeks at a time, uh, running 48 states in Canada, uh, and then our trailers interline with Mexican carriers into Mexico. So our drivers, they don't go uh, A to B back to A. They don't go A to B to C back to A. They go A to B to C to D to E to F to G and so on and so forth. So they go all over the place and there's no real consistency in what they do with the exception of a few of those trucks, if you will. So our drivers are, they're, they're living in their truck two to three weeks at a time. Some drivers, again, they, they may come through a terminal location, but they, they don't necessarily plan the route to come through the terminal. The, the, route, the route is planned from pickup to delivery and the driver decides which route to take and that may take them to a terminal location. So there are many drivers that might go months before they see a CFI terminal, or they may never see a CFI terminal. So we have to use third-party vendors for all the maintenance and upkeep on those. Yeah, so in those cases, this is intriguing to me, um, Randy, because I, I think a lot of us, um, you know, even those that are working diligently in the industry, we, we sort of understand how trucks are operated and moved and so forth. But you know, how that works then is that, you know, CFI, you have people that are looking at all the loads that you've got business for, and then you're figuring out across those, uh, what'd you say, 1800 tractors um, and drivers, um, how, how to do all of that um, with the, um, um, with the requirement to get that driver back close to home. Does he take that truck then to his, to his house or, are there parking spots near home that they can do that? Because um, they're, they're only home a few days before they're back out, right? Yeah, typically they're going to be home about a day for every week that they're out. So if they're out three weeks, they're going to be home for three to four days. And drivers are, are they, they find their own parking locations. So when they go home for time off, they have to have what we define as a secured parking location. They tell us where it's at, who owns the property, and who gave them permission to park there. Now, some drivers own a farm and they just park it on their own property and that's fine. Or they may have to drop a trailer uh, somewhere like at a, uh, maybe at a dealership that we use and then bobtail the truck home. But there's, they, they, it's pretty diverse how they make that happen when they're on home time. But drivers are really good about that and they're really conscientious about where they park as well. Uh, so yeah, they just take their trucks home and, and they decide where to park it. Tell us what's changing in this particular segment, um, you know, and maybe in the last four or five years. I and mean, we hear a lot about, um, you know, driver shortage. Um, I, I'd be curious as to what what you're seeing 
um, not so much about the concept of a driver shortage, but what elements um, are are changing that make it either easier or harder for you to attract drivers. And then just in general about the about the dynamics of the this this truckload segment. I mean, what's um what what's changed for you and and you know, over the past maybe five years? Yeah. So the driver shortage is you know, we are certainly experiencing that as well as everybody is. Um, and it's, you know, it's certainly always kind of been a driver shortage. It's been cyclical in regards to it's, it's hit peaks and it's hit valleys, uh, but even the valleys have been high, but the peaks are really high. And so right now we're experiencing that as well. We, we run our operation being gone two to three weeks at a time takes a certain dynamic of a person to be able to do that and be gone that much time because most of us want to be home, you know, every night or at least every week. And, and so trying to figure out how to balance our business model with drivers needing home is a, is a, is a real challenge for us. So what we do is we, we guarantee our drivers home when they want to get home and we measure that. And we hit that about 95% of the time. We're not perfect, but we do hit that. And what that does is that allows drivers to schedule their, their, their kids' school programs or doctor's appointments or uh, family festivities and those types of things. So we've done a lot better job of that than we did historically in getting them home on a certain day. I, I get that. I mean, being out away from home that much and you know, your off time is typically in a truck, at a truck stop. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a different way of life. Um, but boy, it, it's not what it used to be. Right. I mean, the accommodations in these sleeper compartments, um, what we're, what we're able to offer with respect to air conditioning and heating and entertainment, um, and, you know, information, um, and the truck stops themselves have gotten better. You know, I remember, uh, you know, stopping at a, a truck stop where the way, um, you know, the drivers, you know, they went to lounges and, you know, they were pretty rough with a small TV hanging on the wall and a, and a, and a payphone over in the corner to call your, uh, call your wife or kids, right. Or friends. Now it's, uh, you know, so I, I know our expectations uh, with respect to, you know, streaming shows and, and communicating with our families. I mean, now you can kind of be at that ball game or that PTA um, or that school presentation with, you know, FaceTime and some of these things. So um, I'm sure drivers are taking advantage of that a lot and that does help, right? Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, being here as long as I've been here, you know, I, I tell people that when I came to work here as a driver, we had rotary dial phones and, you know, nobody knows what a rotary dial phone is today. But today you have those technologies that, that that gap in separation or communication is almost, it's almost not even there other than the physical touch. With FaceTime and those kinds of things, you can, you can watch your kid's basketball game through the phone or through your iPad or whatever. And the, the difference is, is you, you just don't have that physical touch, but you can really do everything else. And our drivers are really good at utilizing that for the needs that they they have from a family perspective so that they can be there at those certain times with their family maybe not physically but at least you know through the through the internet and those kinds of things so the you know tv shows and live streaming and we have wi-fi in our terminal locations 
And we're doing a lot to try to accommodate our drivers for that because we know that's important to them. And drivers having a, a, a solid home foundation is very important to us too. So we do all that we can to try to maximize that as well. Yeah, very cool. So you started as a driver. Tell us about your career. I mean, I, I've, I've met a number of uh, fleet executives who started as a mechanic or started as a driver. I mean, uh, walk us through your career and then, you know, how does that make you a better leader, you know, in, in the, in the role that you've got now? Yeah. So my history goes back to, back to the mid eighties. And uh, I went to a truck driving school. I just decided that I wanted to drive a truck. I had a friend that drove at CFI. I was looking for a change. I was a machinist and I was looking for a change. And he said, well, why don't you drive a truck? And long story short, I went to a truck driving school and came to work at CFI and have been, been here ever since that time. And so the interesting part about that is that things have changed a lot since I drove a truck, but a lot of things are still really the same. So the struggles that you have of being gone or the traffic or your truck breaks down, the mechanical issues, all that stuff is still the same. So everything that the driver is experiencing from that perspective, I, I still remember those days. I remember the days of the brakes being froze up and having to go to a shop and you know, borrow a torch to go back and thaw out the brakes. I remember those things. And so I have a lot of compassion for the drivers as a result of that, because I truly have been there, done that. And it, it helps you to understand what they're going through when those situations happen. And if you've not been in those situations, sometimes it's a little more difficult to, to really understand what the challenges are that the driver is facing as a result of that, because brakes freeze up and you just go, well, just get it to a shop and get it froze up or get it unfroze, but it's just not that easy. And so having that understanding really helps a lot. And of course, we have a lot of drivers that have been here a long time and they, we remember each other from, from the past and um, it, uh, uh, it, it, it helps them to appreciate that CFI is willing to promote from within and that there certainly are opportunities at CFI to grow here, regardless of where you start, even if it's starting as a student driver, those opportunities exist here. Yeah, I got to believe you're being modest. I think I got, I have to believe that walking in those shoes earlier in your career is an incredible advantage as you go um, do the jobs that you're doing now. And another question on on truckload that uh, you know is is um, uh, you know, that you sell this, this, this market or this part of the market sells their trucks, you know, typically around four years and, and to a, a second group and keeps turning over your, your truck turnover. So, you know, maybe some of your oldest trucks are only four years that, 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 that um, you know, there's other fleet exec, you know, fleet leaders that are managing eight, 10, 11 year old trucks <laughs> and you don't do that. So um, walk us through, why do, why does CFI in this part of the market um, you know, go from, uh, you know, only operate a truck in the first three, four or five years of its life. Well, why do you do that? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike, because a lot of people historically have asked about that as well and why we would do that. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. But uh, number one is for, for drivers, because you want to provide a nice, safe piece of equipment for our drivers to be able to do what they do every day, day in and day out and do that safely. So the newer the equipment, the more the drivers are going to be, they're going to appreciate that. that. That's one piece. Another piece is, is that newer equipment doesn't break down as often. Let's be real. 
an older truck is going to break down more often. And so a lot of carriers take the mind, they, they have the mindset that, well, I can fix an, an older truck and I can fix it cheaper. But the problem is at CFI is we pride ourselves on service. And so while you might be able to drive an older truck a little longer and not spend money for a new truck and be able to repair that truck and save a little money in that regard, what it does is it inhibits your ability to service that customer to the level that we expect to service our customers and our customers expect us to service them. So that newer equipment affords us the ability to do that. The other thing is that there's more value to the truck uh, at the residual time when you get ready to get rid of it when it's a newer vehicle. So when you go from a really old vehicle to a new vehicle, the net dollars between those, you know, really grows uh, between say a new truck and a trade, we'll call it. And if you have newer equipment and you're trading in more late model equipment, that gap is not near as large. So while it may be painful in the beginning, as you go along further, it, it, it gets smaller and smaller, that gap does. And so there's that piece too. And then obviously we certainly can't forget the fact that fuel efficiency is a big part of, of our business and, and being efficient, moving freight them from one place to another, the new equipment is much more efficient than the older equipment was or ever will be. And so that's a huge part of what we look at as well. So we look at a total cost of ownership, we look at fuel mileage, we look at breakdowns, we look at maintenance costs, we look at all those kinds of things when we decide what to buy, what to spec, and the equipment that, that we use in our business. And we do that from a total cost of ownership standpoint and fuel efficiency is a big part of that. And that's a big part of why we keep our equipment new as well. Yeah, that, that is exactly where I was going to go next with this is that, you know, so it's just, it becomes a little bit of math. You know, if, if, if a model, if a new model year, um, you know, is, is improving in fuel economy and you have, let's just say a four year turnover, you know, in, after that next year, 25% of the fleet will be that new model year. So, you know, you're, you're bringing in those newer trucks with that new technology that you cite on and, and can have a big impact on the fleet's metrics, you know, very quickly. So, you know, CFI, you've had times where you've, uh, you know, made major technology introductions. I remember CFI being very early in some of the um, uh, down speeding and six by twos and some of those um, technologies. Uh, and then, you know, other times where, you know, you may just buy the same truck or the same spec for two or three years. Um, how do you analyze and look at different technologies, Randy, to figure out what to buy and when to buy and and how fast to, to scale a technology. If it's working for you, you wanna buy a bunch of them quick, right? But walk us through how you, how you make those decisions and maybe just specifically on fuel technologies as you brought up. It, it, there's a lot of stuff out there, as we all know. There's, there's a bazillion different products out there to, to improve fuel mileage or reduce uh, you know, drag reduction and those kinds of things, which all e equate to efficiencies. And so you, you, gotta, you gotta stay alert and you gotta stay, you gotta keep looking at what's available out there. And you gotta really rely on your OEM, you know, as a partner to be able to help you through some of these things because they have the people, the resources and the engineers to be able to look at a lot of that stuff. And many times they've already looked at it. And so you can go to them for support as well. But so for our fleet, if you think about our fleet, we're big enough that we have a, a large number of trucks 
and we can have some pretty good samplings of things. So what we literally could do is if we buy 500 trucks in a year, we might buy 20, 25, 30, 40 of, of a, some kind of a technology. And then we have a baseline of another equal number of trucks and we can run those through their life and we can watch them one compared to the other over a period of time to see if that new technology really is making a difference or if it really is not making a difference. The challenge that we run into is that we're a fleet. So in that fleet environment, you're gonna have a lot of drivers changing trucks, you have turnover, and so you don't have the same group of drivers. So you have to have a fairly sizable sampling um, to, to make it worth your while to really understand the difference in the technologies. The other thing that I, and, and this is just my philosophy, Mike, I don't, I'm not saying this is right or that anybody else should do this, but I'm very reluctant unless I'm forced to, to, to buy things right off the bat. So uh, I'll just give you an example. When Kenworth went to the 12-speed transmission, they wanted us to buy that. And I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to buy that in the first year. I just, I want you to work all the bugs out and then I'm going to buy that. Even though there was promise of it helping improve fuel mileage, we delayed the purchase for a year so that they could work all the bugs out of it. Um, and I don't think they had a lot of bugs in it, but I was glad that we did that. And we have gained efficiencies as a result of that transmission, at least is what we're seeing in our fleet. There's so much of that stuff out there. There's skirts, there's all those kinds of things. And sometimes you just simply have to say, it just makes sense to do it. And you may not be able to put numbers to it, but you just know that there's gonna be some savings as a result of it from a common sense standpoint. And you really just pull the trigger on those things. Yeah, I think you nailed our uh, learning at NACFI and our approach and advice. And that is, you know, listen to the, to the experts, whether it's the truck builders, you know, maybe NACFI, we've got some advice to, um, you, know, deep, you know, component manufacturers, other fleets, um, you know, really listen to, to those out there and, and, and investigate what they're finding with the technology. You know, try some in your own fleet, but know that you're not going to be able to, like you mentioned, I mean, weather changes, route changes, driver changes, spec changes, incredibly difficult, even with your, you know, 30 width, 30 without um, analysis and testing to, to really be very certain there without, you know, years of data. And we just, yeah. it's just not time for that. So I think you, you, you definitely um, described, um, you know, a best practice there. Hey, Randy, we always seem to run out of time quickly, but I, I do want to get your thoughts on on one final piece and that's all these alternative powertrain technologies so you know you're on NACFI's um you know fleet committee and we're constantly talking about electric trucks and you know we've been work, working and talking about hydrogen fuel cell trucks and even automation and you know, hybrids and things um you know given uh, what we've talked about here your you know truck load disparate route business um, how, how are you looking at and thinking about these, um, these technologies, these powertrain technologies? So I think from, a, from our, uh, based on our truckload business model, I think those, all those alter alternative fuels are going to be quite a ways down the road, but I think they are going to be down the road. And so I think for now, what we have to do is we have to start with what makes sense in our business model. The good thing about CFI making the acquisitions that we've made in regards to dedicated and some of this other stuff is I think it probably offers us some more some potential to maybe start to try 
maybe some of these technologies uh, on a smaller scale, maybe uh, maybe sprinter vans or maybe uh, maybe yard uh, yard goats in some locations, because I certainly think that it is our future. But I, I think we need to be careful not to jump jump in with both feet. We need to be testing because you know as well as I do, Mike. It's gonna just lots of crazy things are going to happen over the next 10 or 20 years from a technology standpoint. And I'm confident that it's going to get better and improve. So I, anybody in my position, I would absolutely tell them to ask questions and read, you know, read about it and, and keep your eyes open for all those different technologies out there. Support NACFI because you guys have a lot of information, a lot of experience with all this stuff. And even if you're a naysayer and say, you know, electric's not going to happen or hydrogen's not going to happen and it's just not going to happen in my lifetime, I, I would just encourage you to stay on top of it and try to be open-minded about it because it may be a while, but you want to set your successor up or your, your predecessor, I guess we'll call it, you want to set them up to be in a mindset of be watching this and don't just ignore it because if you do, it's going to fly right by you pretty quick and you're going to be way behind the eight ball. So. I would, I, even at my age, I'm still staying in, in tune with it because I want the folks that are here that are going to be here long after me to really understand the importance of understanding these technologies, where they're headed, and what our future might bring. So I, I think it's very important because I do believe it's coming. I think that's really good advice. And being, uh, you know, a steward of the role there and, and making sure that um, uh, just because it may not be there in, in your lifetime or your career, uh, doesn't mean you shouldn't be working on it and looking at it. So that's re really good advice. So we're gonna have to close it out there, Randy. Thank you so much for joining me. And we all uh, appreciate the work you're doing, moving freight around the country and um, best to you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.